Welcome to the Level Up Life Podcast. I'm your host, Scotty Hobbs, and welcome to this episode. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Moon Valjean. Moon was moved by a Garth Brooks song at an early age and was fascinated by music. He found that music was the best way for him to express himself and worked his way into a band that produced a platinum album, and he's toured the world. He's played in bands such as Story of the Year, Goldfinger, and Greek Fire. He also works in radio with The Riz Show. He's got some incredible life lessons and insights, and I'm excited to share those with you today. Moon, welcome to the show. So Moon, just to get started off, tell us like who, who are you? What do you do? Who am I? Who am I? That is the question, right? You, yeah. Like, I think anybody our age has asked that a lot more in the last couple, eh, probably five years than I did the first 25 years. Um, so I am uh Born and raised here in St. Louis, born, raised, born, adopted and raised here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, you know, I was like a South, a South city, South County kid here in St. Louis with, uh, with big dreams from about 10 years old to be an entertainer in some way. Now I was the absolute most shy kid in all the classes. I still have seen a couple of my elementary school teachers. They'll come out to certain events or shows and, it's a common common theme every time they're like, I just can't believe you do what you do for a living. Like the little kid that we saw was, you know, afraid to speak in front of the class, would never have volunteered getting up in front of people um, or, or any of that. But, you know, um, long story short, man, I saw I saw this Garth Brooks performance on HBO when I was 10 years old, 1991. And uh, rain is coming down on the stage and they smash these two acoustic guitars together. And I was not raised in a house with music. Um, so, and I certainly had no idea what like a live performance was supposed to look like, but I saw that and I was just like, Oh, it was so mind blowing that you could do that, that this guy is getting paid to do this. And it was so entertaining. And I turned around to my dad and I was like, I'm going to do that someday. And he gave me the, you know, don't quit your day job. Ha ha ha. You know, that, that kind of, yeah, that kind of vibe. But I, I just like, that was the, that was the eye-opening moment that I remember as a kid going like, wow, you can you can be an artist, you can create things and be creative, not just in a songwriting uh, capacity, but in the capacity of like putting on a show that moves somebody. And I was I was moved. I was like, you know, in front of this tiny little TV watching a show late at night and I, and I was like I was moved, emotionally moved by music and the actual performance of it. So I thought, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Now, I was a kid that had real delays when it came to uh, communication and, and communicating with the world around me. I was always like, everybody was always a few steps ahead of me. You know, I, like uh, I'd come to school and all of a sudden my friends weren't friends with me anymore because I didn't have the right Adidas jacket. And I was like, Okay, so once I like understood the concept of why I wasn't cool, I I just I was so I was so upset. I was like, "What? This this world doesn't make any sense." So every every year I just found myself going, "This doesn't make any sense. What why and how did you guys all get this memo and I'm back here not with this memo?" So yeah. I always felt like I was behind um socially and I was. Uh and you know, I got, I dreamed of having a guitar and at some point freshman year, I made a deal with my parents that if I got my grades up, they'd rent me a guitar. And uh, as soon as I got a guitar in my hands, I realized like, whoa, dude, I can, I can, I'm going to figure out a way to use music to communicate what it is I have going on in, inside of me. So I, I saw it as a, 
not you know some people use it as an escape and and, and I did for sure I was using it as an escape to uh, to a degree because I went through some pretty gnar- gnarly tragedies and lost my cousin in a car accident when I was a teenager so in those ways I was using it like that but for the most part it was hey I can I can use this as a communication tool get on stages and 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 communicate with a world that otherwise is not listening to me is is not making me feel very welcome um and I think you see that a lot in uh, in in rock stars. You see like damaged childhoods or uh, weird relationships with a mother, or you see somebody who is really the shy one of the group taking to the stage, almost like a fear immersion tactic. You know, they say like if you're yeah. afraid of spiders, like lay in a vat of spiders. Um, and I think that's where I fall into. I had a, a wonderful childhood, a great relationship with my with my parents. Like I said, I was adopted as a young as a young kid. Um, but dude, I saw it as a way to to communicate, and uh, started that with my 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 partner, my my best bud and soccer player partner in 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 high school, and we were like we were in like the church band and a bunch of uh, a bunch of Christian bands, and like we were all into the metal and the hardcore scene and all that kind of stuff. So that's where it started, man. That's that's where it started, and I was. Uh, Fast forward a few years, I became a uh, a teenage father at the age of seventeen. My church girlfriend and I got pregnant at sixteen. That was really good for my Baptist family, and uh, <laughs> that put a lot, dude. That put a lot of uh, difficulty in in our lives, but a, a lot of shift. And you know, I'm raising a family now. I'm moved out at seventeen. I got like four or five part time jobs to try to make a living. We're we're living in an apartment. And meanwhile, I'm trying to do this band thing. And everyone around me is just like, dude, you're in St. Louis. Like it's the band thing. What 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 are you doing? This is so so dorky or so um not worth pursuing. But dude, I uh I felt a calling. Uh, I really did feel like a spiritual calling that that this is what I'm supposed to do. Again, I, it was still like the only way that I was able to sharply and concisely communicate with the world around me. And I felt comfortable on stages, which is crazy because if you put me in front of like 10 or 15 people, now I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty well trained. But back then, if you put me in front of 15 people, man, I was, I'm not sure I could even do anything. But you put me up in front of 150 or 1,000 or a hundred thousand it the bigger the crowd the easier it was um so yeah man so i uh i ended up making a, a full-on music career uh even though <laughs> the odds were were against me i was i was blessed to be in the right places at the right time and meet the right people and work as hard as 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 we did and um toured the planet in uh, a band that we that we had uh together uh called story of the year for uh I was in the band for 15 years from pretty much its very beginning till they let me go in 2018. Traveled the planet, dude, um, a few dozen times over and was able to give my ch- my my children a, a lifestyle that I don't think I otherwise would have been able to give them. And now, yeah, we had some gold and platinum records and big hits and movies and all that kind of stuff, but it don't pay like you think it pays. So uh, it's it's not that I was like raking in the cash. Yeah, uh, there were years there where we were paying our crew more than we were getting paid at the end after everybody takes their cuts. Uh, but yeah, I was able was able to do that. Now I'm in um, still two or three bands, and then I transitioned into a radio career right around 2011 or 12, just because uh, the road was harder to make money on, and um, 
you know, the bell curve was kind of like on, on the downslope of, of the most, uh, profitable band for me. So I had to get a gig here in St. Louis and, um, and not be on the road as much because I had my, like, I hate to say this, but like my second batch of kids (laughs) (laughs) and, um, and I, I missed out on so very much with my oldest two daughters by being on the road. Cause in order to make a career like this really, really work, if you have a record that's hitting, you're going to be on the road for like two, three years at a time. And that's, it's brutal. It's, it's brutal. And I missed out on a lot with my daughters. So got into radio so I could, so I could see them after school and, and put them to bed at night, uh, more, more or less. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that pretty much takes us to present day. So right now I have three or four bands and a popular morning show in St. Louis and a podcast. And, uh, and I still find myself, uh, finding other things to do. You like to stay busy. It sounds like, um, to tell you the truth, man, like I, I wish I wasn't as busy as I am. Um, so I mean, I'm so blessed, dude. I I really am. But like, I'll, I'll be fully honest. Um, I'm not sure I know how not to be. Yeah. Um, and and some of it I think is this weird like guilt or shame thing that's either been put on me by past relationships or, um, or just how I came to be uh, an an adult. And and listen, man. Some people probably don't admit this, but I was I was a teenage father, and there's a there was a lot of arrested development in in that sense um, that hits right then. So in a, in a lot of ways, like I'm I'm totally still a kid. So the rock star lifestyle like totally fits me, and and I'm a bizarre, just weirdo artist guy, and sometimes that's hard to handle for for people that are much more structured. Um, but at the same time, dude. As soon as, as soon as my girlfriend was, you know, my, my church youth group girlfriend at 16, we were both 16, was pregnant, like something flips in your head and goes, oh my gosh, from here, like as soon as my daughter was born, I'm sure you know this as a father, a, a switch goes off in your brain that says, okay, for the rest of eternity, you're no longer, you're no longer your priority. Like there, there's someone that will forever come before you. And that happened to me at 16 years old, man. So like, I, I had to go into hyperdrive and figure out like how do I provide for this child? How how do I provide uh not only what they need, but what I want them to have, which of course is like twice as much as I had when I was a kid. How how do I how do I give them more than they could dream of? You know, like so having gone into that uh mentality at, at 17. I don't do very well and I wish I did. And I'm trying to, I'm in the, I'm in this point in my life as a 42 year old man where I'm trying to figure out the the real balance and how to slow myself down because uh, it's starting to take a toll. I'm sure it's taken a toll for those last few decades, but now I'm starting to see it. Yeah. We're gaining wisdom as we get, we're both 42 and you really start to look at your life. Gabby and I were having a conversation right before I hopped on this zoom with you about some of those things. Like we have a lot of big projects going on too. Uh, vacation rentals, building a new home, building our business that we've been building for 13 years. And I was talking to her about, and starting this podcast, I was talking to her about like, what if like, you know, we hit a really hard patch financially, you know, you never know what could happen in the economy. I was like, what would we do? And I was like, I, I have some good friends that work for the government and, and they don't do very much at their jobs and they, they'll boast about it. They get to lift weights, take naps, and, you know, work for 10 hour days and that's it. And I was like, man, in my head, I was like, man, I could just go do that if I had to. 
but we had this conversation of like, no, I, that's not what I want for my life. I don't want to be tied to something, doing something that's not meaningful. I want to be spending time with my family, doing things that, that I love to do. So I would rather downgrade my life or material things, you know, rentals or um, investments or the home that we're li living in and have more time with the family than go out and, you know, try to do more. So we're kind of in that, that phase of life where it's like, what, what are my priorities? What do I want to do? And it takes a while to get there, doesn't it? It does for sure, man. My priorities have always been the kids and I've yeah. never been able to see beyond that. And, uh, you know, my wife and I are starting to have conversations about like, oh my gosh, man, like these last six, seven years have gone so quickly that thinking about actually planning for six or seven years in the future, this house is not going to be filled with kids anymore. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something that I've never been able to um, visualize, like not truly. I mean, you know, you have like the like, oh, you know, when you guys are out of the house and bubble, I'm going to do this. But dude, I, um, again, and I don't know how other people work. I've always been this crazy, weird black sheep and like I, I, out there sort of character as far as how my life goes, especially dude, I live in St. Louis. So yeah. when I would come home from tour, there was new highways and and everybody's got different jobs and they're all wearing their pleated khakis and like you know I'm I'm over here with earrings in and 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 I don't I don't fit in. There's nobody to talk to. I don't have a water cooler. Like even my group of friends that wasn't that weren't musicians, um, it's not that they weren't great people and that we didn't have like this connection or whatever. But like I didn't. I didn't have a lot of get-togethers or poker games or something where like I got to talk about my life. Um, and it, and it made sense. So you make so many friends on the road because this is such a strange way to live, such a strange lifestyle. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but at the same time, I'm I'm finding myself now going, Oh dude, I bet you, I bet you some of my, uh, you know, some of my comrades, uh, you know, from, from the early days are a bit more like settled into like a long-term plan or how to even develop that in a mental state of like, where will I be? Uh, how will I be behaving in, in 10 years? And, uh, you know, like that's, that's, um, that's on me, but there's not like a big community of, uh, of, of mental help for musicians that are out there that are just cruising that are like literally like day to day trying to figure out how am I supposed to eat today? I woke up on the bus or in a van or in, in some other new city. And the only thing you're looking for is a freaking toilet and, and a place to eat. <laughs> Yeah. And then you're thinking like, okay, how long is this, is this single going to perform? If it doesn't perform, do we have to go straight back in and make another record? So it's like everything, you know, we're traveling salesmen, dude. And, and we're, and we're like, we're selling art and you know, like what a mind trip that can be. Yeah. Right. So I'm supposed to be an artist, but now in order to be an artist, I got to be an artist. I got to be a songwriter. I got to be a, a businessman. I got to be a singer. I got to be a performer. I got a ticket seller. I got to be a social media guru. I got to be all these different things. I can't just be an artist anymore. I can't just be a singer or even a songwriter. You have to be so many different things um, to be, you know, to, to, to make this, this kind of thing work. So anyways, I, I sound like I'm, I'm complaining and I'm not, I'm just trying to give a, a little bit of an insight to what may seem is like a, a scattered sort of mindset. Yeah. Just listen to you say that I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, how did you, cause you're one of the, one of the coolest 
best dudes that I know. Like, and, and I love that you've talked on this podcast about your, your kids are your top priority and you were, you jumped into that at a very early age. So I can understand how you can feel kind of lost, um, you know, thinking about the kids being gone because it's been your life from the yeah. age of 16 to 42. Dude. It's so many years. So like how, when you were on the road, taking on all those uh, jobs and those responsibilities, even today performing, you have a show coming up on uh, this weekend. I think you said making ticket sales. Like how do you manage stress? How do you, you know, overcome obstacles? What's your strategy? What do you do? Um, Oh man, I, I will say this, e even though I, I got away from it in the ways that I, that I wish the only thing I have no idea where I would be or who I would be if I didn't have my faith. Uh, my faith is a big part of my life. And, um, it certainly was in the early years. Uh, I lost it there a little bit. Um, I didn't lose my faith. I just lost my, my, my practice and my identity with it. But I am scared to say where I would be if I didn't have that to guide me and always like uh, fall back on. Now, you mentioned it. You really hit the nail on the head with um, identity. And I know a lot of 40-year-old fellers are like, you know, that's the whole midlife crisis thing. Is like, oh, my gosh, who am I? I just gave 20 years to this company or to this lifestyle or whatever, and I don't know who that is. Um, my identity is truly like I have been a father longer than I have not. I was only not a father for 16 years. My oldest daughter is 25. So like I have no adulthood not being a father. And that's an impossible concept for me to explain, just like it's an impossible concept for me to talk to a 25-year-old guy. And he's like, oh, dude, this is what I'm thinking about. And have the and just know the fact that he's thinking about what he wants to do, not what he wants to do and how that will benefit his daughter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or his yeah. son. So, you know, um, it's it's my identity. How do I manage stress? Dude, I I, I don't know. I like I I don't even I don't even know. And it and it's it's changed over the years as I've um discovered or or billing been willing to I discover myself and what it is that I'm actually stressed about. Um, you know, I, uh, I've, I've had, I've had tons of difficulty, uh, tons of, um, moments where, uh, you know, I have, I've felt wronged or slighted and things have been taken away from me. And that stuff has just been like immensely, immensely difficult for me to handle. Uh, my wife will tell you that I put it in my body because, I'm the most tense dude you've ever met. My shoulders, my back, like anytime I get a massage, which is like, I don't know, once a year, they even remark like, oh my gosh, it's like massaging a stone. Like I'm just a one giant brick and my kids make fun of me. Like, and they do their impression on me. I'm like, really? Do I walk like that with my shoulders up? And they're like, yeah, dude. And so I like, I'm starting to really have to pay attention because for for all through my twenties and all through my thirties, I'm sure I was stressed in in whatever normal ways. Um, but you don't feel it. And now you know, 42, like, dude, my back hurts when I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really need to take care of myself. So right now, it's it's a it's a uh, it's a solid mix of you know prayer life, um, just like you know, really really talking and and making sure that I am not. Um, stressed in fact my my devotional this morning was about uh you know the age-old like sunday school thing about uh you know look at the birds in the sky and and they're uh 
they're not worried about tomorrow. They're not worried about their food and God will provide for them. How much more valuable are you than them? And I have always had a solid mix of that, of, of not having fear of having faith that God will take care of me, that there is a, not only just like a safety net, because I don't want to say it, I don't want to say my faith is like fire insurance or a safety net, but like I truly believe that I I have and always have been given more than I deserve um, and that I can live in an abundance mindset and that is Im- important for, for, for my faith. And that's, it's a, it's a solid mix of that. And, um, constantly, you know, slowing myself down to try to really enjoy, uh, my family and what's happening with the kids, even though the faster that they grow up, the, you know, the scarier it is and the sadder it is. Um, there's a little bit of, of mix of music, although I haven't really written too many songs that I've released in the past couple, a couple years. Again, that was a really big communicative tool for me not just to, you know, get out and play shows and make people uh, dance or move people from from a musical perspective or goal. Uh, but for me, it was like I was telling my story so I could kind of put it out and let it go. Yeah. Um, and the the last like big record that, that Greek Fire uh, that we put out as Greek Fire is called Broken. And it was after like a horrible divorce and betrayal and... Uh, and do that record like the, when we started writing the music that record was supposed to be called bound because our record before was lost and as i um as i was on the way to the studio like kind of reviewing some of the lyrics that i had for this found record like it wasn't my life i wasn't found i was like shattered and uh yeah. and i went in and i was like guys i'm sorry to do this it may take a few extra days for me or something but like I'm going to write this record in studio while you guys are tracking. And it's not called found anymore. It's called broken. And I got to re- rewrite all the lyrics and I rewrote all the lyrics, dude. And it's some of my best work. Um, because like it was, I was able to just, uh, communicate what my heart was dealing with, what my body was dealing with, what my spirit was dealing with. Um, and you know, between, between that, prayer, faith. And then now, uh, my wife, you know, being a, uh, a beach body and fitness coach and like everything, like she's really helped me focus the, just the, the fact that my body is a huge part of this and that I have to at least respect it enough to make it one of the focal points in the Trinity of, 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 of self-care. Um, you know, mind, body, spirit, and, and my body, I mean, I'll fully admit my body was always on the bottom of that, uh, of that priority list. It was always kind of mind and spirit, uh, battling for first place. And then body was like still in the starting gate. I just never, I never focused on it Yeah. until, until recently. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. It's hard when you're getting up at three 30 in the morning too, dude. Like today, I'll take you through the day. Um, <clears throat> It was 80 degrees in, in, in St. Louis yesterday. And then today it was 38. So it was 20 degrees overnight. It dipped down like crazy, uh, like, you know, like a, like desert weather almost or something. And, um, it was so hot that I couldn't, I couldn't sleep upstairs. And then by the morning it was freezing. So I get up at three 30. Now I'm freezing. I've only slept like four or five hours. And, uh, I did a little devotional. I bolt off to work. We do the full show, um, full morning show. It's called the Rizzuto show from six to 10. 
I get off air at, uh, you know, 10.05. I run over. I got to do a bunch of production stuff real quick. And right now we're building a show for Saturday and we're putting all these huge video elements. It's a, it's a stage show and, um, big sold out show here at the pageant and I'm building some elements. So I'm running back and forth, like physically running from one end of the building to the next, doing all these production elements and putting a video edit together for, for one of the big elements that's going to happen at the show. Meanwhile, like I got a car that we just bought two weeks ago that the air conditioner doesn't work. <laughs> so I have, I, so I get that. I run that 45 minutes uh, to the other side of town. I text you that I'm so sorry. I'm going to be late. Cause they're like giving me a second or they're taking a few minutes for me to check in. Then I come back. So I'm doing this podcast. So I'll do this till, you know, uh, till about one, one thirty, two o'clock. I have about three hours of video editing that I have to do for a, a gear channel that I just started on YouTube. I'm going to try to take about a 45 minute nap. And then the band is going to be here for a rehearsal for a giant Disney show that we're doing on May 11th, uh, where we, we do punk rock versions of all the Disney classics and oh, that awesome. rehearsal. Yeah, it is awesome. And that rehearsal will go till eight 30 and then I need to spend time with my wife. Like, even though that's bedtime, like she and I are going to hang out and we're going to watch our nerdy space show uh, for like an hour and a half, have a kombucha. And then maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll be in bed by 1030. And then back up probably at 3.30, right? And then back up at 3.30. Yeah. So that's, and that's like, this is a pretty chill day because I get to hang out and talk to you. I love it. And I appreciate it. And I hope, I hope the audience here that's listening to appreciates that as well. Like sprinting over from the car shop and uh, here sharing your, your nuggets of wisdom with us. So thanks for sharing. I, I love the emphasis on, on your kind of this battle you've had with keeping spirit and mind at the top and in you're working on entering, you know, taking care of your body in there along with that. Where did your, where, where did your spiritual life start? Like, was that something you grew up with from your, from your adopted parents? Was that something you found later on? Yeah. My parents were a part of a, uh, like a Southern Baptist church and I don't think it's Southern Baptist anymore. It's still Baptist. I forget what the other one is, but, um, yeah, that's, that's how I was raised, man. I was the kid at like church service was so boring. No offense to the pastor, but he wasn't great. Uh, it's like a, you know, full of gray hairs. It's like a gray hair Baptist church. And, uh, I'm this wild kid that, um, probably has stitches in my face at that time. Cause I was just always bashing my head on things. Um, and, you know, raising like a Sunday school thing on Sundays, we'd have to go on Wednesday nights so they could have their dinner with their other old friends. My parents were a little bit older than most uh, parents at the time. And um, it was me and my younger brother and uh, was raised in that church uh, pretty consistently. But there was no real youth group pro program. There was, but it just wasn't inspiring. It wasn't doing anything for us. That's for sure. Yeah. So I was just a, a Sunday, Wednesday night church kid that was just getting dragged and was in whatever. But just like they say, you know, like your kids aren't listening to you, but they're absorbing everything, you know? Yeah. Um, I heard enough of those lessons where cl clearly they stuck with me. Right. So they were just like a peppered part of a kid who never thought about it other than being dragged to church. Then yeah. I did get baptized at some point in there when I was like 11 or 12. Cause you know, uh, you know, that's like the Baptist way and they, and they, they scare you. And say, like, if you don't do this in front of the church right here with before you're whatever, you're going to hell. Um, so you know, that was that was a part of my a part of my walk in those early days. And then uh and then my cousin was killed the day before his 18th birthday. And um brother it changed it changed everything because I I had to deliver uh my parent my mother was in Atlanta for the Olympics in nineteen ninety six and uh my cousin um uh, 
got in this accident and we had to call down to my mother and his mother uh, to get back into town as quick as possible. And when they came back in, they had to get over to Mizzou, which is a uh, you know two two and a half hours from I guess about two hours from from St. Louis from the from where they were. So I was home alone, and uh, I'm 15 years old at this point. I'm I'm home alone, and I don't know what's going on other than he's in the hospital and things are pretty bad. And my mom and his mom uh, were rushing over to the hospital, and I got this phone call from my mother, and she said that uh, I had to call the church to tell them to take him off of the prayer list because he had died. Hmm. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll handle this for you. And um, I remember, dude, I, I picked up the phone and I called church and the church lady answered and I said, hey, uh, I need to, uh, and then I and then I just couldn't get any more words out. And I stopped and I like, it just like, it just, it just floored me, dude. It floored me. And I remember, I don't even remember what I said. I just, I remember getting off the phone and dude, I hit my knees and I was like, I was so angry. I was so angry. I was, I was so crushed, dude. I was so angry with God. And I had this full, I met God <laughs> in yeah. this, in this dark bedroom on, on my knees. And, um, and it was okay to be angry. And like, dude, I had never really even like gone there before. And it was okay to be angry. It was, it was okay to be sad. It was okay to be everything. And I was, I was, I was so, I was so comforted and so like just splattered at the at the same time. And it was monumentally sh a, a shift. It was a monumental shift in my life, dude. And um, at the funeral. You know, I, I, I like connected with my cousin, my other cousin, um, who I work with actually, who I have on the show and, and in a way that I never had. And I just, I realized that there was so, there's so like, I'll fully admit this. There was so much pressure on me because this was our older cousin. This was like our hero. This is like, this is who you always wanted to be. He showed you the new mu new music. He showed you how to tight roll your jeans. Like this was the coolest dude in the family. The He, he was the dude, the dude. He's who all, all of us like, set our standards by and he was the oldest boy in all of the cousins and um and now i was so i felt like this this insane um responsibility to now lead a bigger life and a and a, and a life of example for my brother for my cousins and and everything and like do my whole life changed that week at the funeral i you know i i I didn't cry, I didn't shed a tear, which was the wrong thing to do. But at the time, I thought like I had to show this like stoicism, this this pure stoic strength to all those around me because I mean this collapsed the whole community, dude. Yeah, a and um, and that is when my faith went from one thing to another, and that. I think jolted my parents too. Cause they're like, yo, these, these kids are not in a youth group that they care to be in. So let's, let's search for some different churches. And and we searched churches and we found one and we walked in and did, uh, <laughs> there's this kid wearing a Rage Against the Machine shirt. I was like, Oh, you like Rage Against the Machine? And he's like, yeah, man. I was like, they let you wear that in church. And he's like, yeah, dude, what, what's wrong with you? Uh, and, and I was like, Oh man, this is, it was, it was so different and, and so welcoming. And I'd never really been welcomed anywhere in my life. Not in the old church, not, not in the, not in school, nothing. And these punk rocker alternative kids that were going to this Baptist church up in, uh, you know, a different part of town. They were like, yo, we got 
they gave us the old sanctuary and there's a stage and so-and-so plays bass. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I just started playing guitar and I got this kid, my soccer buddy, he's playing drums. Like, let's do a band. So like everything changed there, dude, everything, yeah. everything changed. And I was like a really, uh, a part of a youth group. And of course it had its dysfunction and its wackiness and whatever. But, um, but I found a base for my thought processes and I, and I had a wonderful youth pastor that I was able to like actually listen to and, and, and talk to. And, and I, and I gained a lot there. And and the sadness of me even telling this story right now is that my children don't have that. Yeah. You know, well, so, and that's something that my, my wife and I are trying to kind of figure out for them. Yeah. That's powerful. I love that you, you, you're recognizing that and seeing, okay, this is some area that we could, we could move towards for them. Yeah. We talk about it every week. We yeah, that's, we're not sure where, where to go, where to start. That's awesome. One of my, one of my favorite things, I'm, I'm a youth leader for the eight to 11 year old boys in, in our church. And it's every Wednesday we do activities with them and it's just been so awesome. My youngest kid's eight. So he's in that group. And, and I love that. I love that role. And I think it's, it's powerful for them too. Like whenever uh, you just tell that story, it makes me think about some of these kids. There's, there's some of them that are a little, you know, I was, I was like you super shy growing up and super introverted, you know, hard to make friends or be a part of the cool, cool group, which is something I, well, I was never a part of, but some of these kids, man, when, when I show up to church on Sunday, I can just see them, see me and their face just lights up. And I, I can see that's that, that's that kid. That's like me at, at school. that's probably having a harder time making friends. So it's super fulfilling to me, even more than building, like hard to say this, even probably more rewarding than building my business. Yeah, yeah. Is making that impact on those little kids, you know? So yeah, for yeah sure. that's great. So you you mentioned something as you were telling the story of your cousin. Uh, you mentioned uh your mom with her sister, with your aunt, right? Were yeah. at the Olympics in do you yeah. say Atlanta? Were yeah. they just there watching or or what's the story behind that? Yeah, dude. My my mother is like a total athlete. She's she's 80. She turns 81 this year. And um every year we when we open the little pool out here, she does a can opener off the diving board. She's 80 something. She still does That's it. So awesome. she was like, Yeah, she was always a always as an athlete and just like a huge baseball fan. And we used to watch the Olympics together when I was little and like the ice skating. We went to, you know, uh stars on ice and all that kind of stuff. Uh ice capades and and that kind of stuff. And and when the um when the 96 Olympics were here in Atlanta, they, they got tickets to go down and watch events. So, so my, my mom and my aunt were down there for the week. They were supposed to be down there for the, for the week or two, uh, watching different swimming events and track events. And like, they got tickets to all sorts of cool stuff. Um, but it was, it was a shame. Obviously got cut short cause, yeah. uh, cause of my cousin passing. Um, but yeah, dude, they were there. They were there for that bombing. Remember the bombing, uh, yeah. that happened down there? Like, the, yeah, it's wild, wild time, wild time. 96 Man. was a, a crazy year, year. Yeah, for, for everyone, year. including you and your, your life. Huge thing. I mean, you talk about that. You were 16 when your cousin passed away. 16 15. when you, yeah. 15. Okay. 16. And then just a year later getting pregnant um, or getting, you, you know, your girlfriend from church getting pregnant and, and yeah. starting the, the life as a father. Uh, speaking of your mom, I remember, I don't remember where we were. You, we were having a conversation. You said you you told this story about your mom humbling you once. Do you remember telling us that story? No, but I'm sure okay. it's, I mean, there's a dozen of those. <laughs> oh, dude, she's What's... always, she's always put me in my place, man. She's, she's always, she, I think she's always worried because, <laughs> you know, and there's probably a lot of psychology to break down here too. Um, yeah. 
my parents were my parents were teachers. Um, my mom was a gym teacher and a swimming teacher and a health teacher. My dad was uh, science and physics and a bunch of other stuff. And like an old football coach, you know, that that kind of guy. My mom was born during the war. My dad was a boomer, like, you know, 46. And, uh, and you know, like they've never, they don't know anything about business. They don't know anything about anything except for like, yo, you get this, you get this degree, you get a master's so you can get a little bit more money. You get a government job, you get a pension, you retire and you shut up. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like, that's their vibe. And uh, they're super serious and very old school. And, um, you know, every time I was like, I'd come in, you know, and, and say, oh, I got this, I, I got this guitar and we're going to play this and I'm going to go do this. It, they, it was not that they were like naysayers or, or negative, but it was always like a, when are you going to get serious? Like, when, you know, like don't quit your day job. It was just always these like, you know, very 1940s, 1950s, um, quit, quick jab sort of like, uh, don't, don't quit your day job. And, and nobody from St. Like name another St. Louis musician that's, that's done this or, you know, it was, it was just a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think when everything started, like my parents never went to a single show of mine until I had paid them back to like 2,700 bucks I had borrowed or something like that. And, um, and was like, I was already on a major, I had a major, you know, uh, record out already. And was, I think I was on tour with Lincoln park or something. And, and yeah. they maybe, they maybe came to see a show. And then, then they never missed a single show after that, dude. Like after we were like a success, they saw every single show. So all they saw was me like struggling in the in my my drummer buddy's basement, mom's basement, and then they then they saw this huge success, and we were selling like thirty five thousand records uh, um, a week. So, in a kind of a strange way, they saw an overnight success. Which obviously, it's there's no such thing as that. I had been touring and playing these shows for like seven years before, just nonstop, just grinding everything. But to them. I think they were really worried that uh, we'd get out of control, like kind of out of our out of our head, too big for our britches, kind of kind of vibe, you know. Yeah. And and they were always kind of worried about like staying this like you know humbled Midwest kid. Um, so maybe that's what where some of it stems, and and it, and because they know that like <laughs> other than renting that first guitar for me, they weren't super. Uh, they weren't really like backing me up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and then that shift happened though there I, I love that you share that one of the one of my favorite things i chat with my dad about it once in a while but i remember when i first started my business i got to a point where i could i was contemplating leaving my full-time job you know with my 401k my health insurance and i told him i was going to leave and he's like don't quit your day job for that 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 thing you're doing on facebook so but now it, he became you know, shortly after became my biggest fan and I was able to retire him early from, from his job, like seven years early. And so there was a switch like that as well. But I think, I think a lot of times parents are like that. They're protective and yeah, man, I want the best for your kids. There's, there's no fault there at all. And I like, uh, and they know that I'm not, I'm not saying any of this to, to like slight them at all. I'm sure I'm the exact same way with my kids. Like, (laughs) you know, my daughter's got these, these dreams and I'm sure I'm like, yeah, okay. That doesn't make any sense. You need to like figure these other things out. And then if you prove me wrong, of course, ha now I'm backing you, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a reasonable thing. It's a reasonable thing. We're, we're trying to mitigate all of the potential pitfalls yeah. um, and, and, and mitigate the damage of wasting time or making poor decisions or chasing something that's not worth being chased. It's a totally reasonable thing. My parents, by the way, were playing the stats and all the stats were against me. 
I just knew that I was a crazy, crazy, crazy person as far as my confidence, my self-confidence. I knew that I was better than everybody else I was seeing at doing this, and I knew that I had the determination to do something bigger because I have felt that call on my life since the day that I found out I was adopted. I was seven years old, found out I was adopted, and I thought— I remember the way that I the way that it was interpreted in my mind was, oh man, like there was there was dozens of decisions that were made and all this timing and all this that put me here in this safe place where I'm fed and I'm loved and 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 like, dude, I owe God everything. Like all, all these blessings that like I, I shouldn't be here. I, I could have been aborted, I could have been left, I could have done this, I they they could have you know, uh, just throw me aside, drop me off here. There's a hundred things that could have happened, but no, I'm here loved. I'm safe. I'm warm. My belly is full. Like, dude, I owe God such a giant life that if I do not make an impact, I will have not only done nothing. It's worse than doing nothing. I I've, I've squandered this blessing. And, and so even as a kid, I just felt like I have to live this enormous life, this this um, bigger than you know, bigger than my own dreams sort of uh, sort of life. So, and that's not something I can discuss with my parents or with anybody. That's it's a very um, I don't even want to say lonely, but like a very uh, you know, I don't know. It's it, it's a very personal concept. Yeah, uh, you know, to, to not only like feel but to live out yeah so you so you found out at the age of seven and, and had this feeling that something bigger and and you wanted to express that and have that gratitude what what age were you adopted where was that as a baby what i was a, yeah i was a baby i was in foster care for a, a couple different families until i was like six months old so i mean i was okay. a, I, like i don't know anything else except for I'm sure, you know, uh, counselors and psychologists would, would tell me that I've got abandonment issues and this and that and the other things because those are all the, the, the standards. But, dude, I had I had a beautiful childhood. Like, my parents rule, dude. Yeah. They rule. That's awesome. And I love that you share that love for them. So I have a question. Thinking about, I'm looking at all your guitars there in the back. And, you know, someone someone might be watching this that might be a fan of you. And, and being like, okay, I, I want to be a professional. I feel called to make music or music is the way for me to express myself similar to, to how you felt. Tell us how, I know you started the band with your friends and your drummer friend and, and you, you got started. When did you have your break? Like how long after you started playing and, and what was your break where you made it, let's say? Yeah. Um, I... I started playing. I was late, you know. A lot, of, a lot of, a lot of people are like, oh, I started when I was six or seven. I didn't start till I was like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, it must have been, must have been fifteen. Um, it was the second semester or the summer after freshman year. And dude, it didn't take more than like three weeks for me to get serious. As soon as I got a guitar in my hands, no one saw me. Like I, I, I never went to a single high school party. I quit the soccer team. Like I did, I did everything to be to master uh guitar and like i was you know an obsessor when it came to um studying i mean even even before i got the guitar i studied music like i, I and i didn't know what to study because i didn't have parents that did that i didn't have music in the home i just liked everything from the freaking yeah. top gun soundtrack to garth brooks to beach boys to hardcore to, to pod to all uh, like all these bands were just like i'd hear something and if it moved me i would figure out why like what what is moving me is it the tone is it the lyric 
is it the timbre in this guy's voice? Is it the guitar lick? Is it the bass? Is it the whatever? And what? And every single time I would focus on something, I'd need to obsess over it until I not only understood it, but understood its place in the song or in the genre or whatever. And then I could figure out how to play it. And thankfully, I was always blessed with the ability to, um, I have a great ear. So I've, I've never read, I, don't, I can't read music, um, but I could sit down at a piano. You could play something and I'll figure it out. Give me like 15 seconds and I'll figure out how to play it. Cool. Um, same, same with guitar. So I would like, watch people play instruments and I go, ah, uh, I don't, I don't get this. And then, and then I just, I would obsess on it until I, I understood it. And then once you understand it, you can kind of stare at it for a while and then start just getting your motions, your, your muscles going and like a muscle memory starts to develop and you figure out easy ways to do things. Now this is before YouTube or tutorials or any of that kind of stuff. So you just have to like do it. You just have to study it, figure it out and play it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Every single day, man, after school, we'd go over to Johnny's house and we would uh, we'd play soccer until it got dark. And then we'd play music because he rented a drum set and I had a rented guitar. We'd play Rage Against the Machine songs or whatever we were hearing. And dude, we got so good. Like, I'm telling you, we were playing Rage Against the Machine songs better than they were. Uh, That's awesome. Like, I mean, down like to the T. That's all we would do is just play until his mom kicked me out. And then the next day we'd start over again. Uh, and we did that for four years, man. And... We played like a battle of bands in high school. We got this bass player. We got this uh, our buddy to 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 sing, and uh, Johnny and I played. You know, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, and then um, as soon as we graduated, you know, I was already a father. I was already living in an apartment. Um, I had three or four jobs, but every every waking minute was spent either practicing, writing music. Um, you know, le le learning some sort of some some sort of music, or literally like printing flyers for our next show and going to other shows and like just passing out flyers and passing out demos, and it was just like, dude, it's so funny because I, I mentioned POD a minute ago. Um, I was like such a POD fan in like the early '90s before they were on Atlantic and and did really well. We used to go to this this Christian festival up in Bushnell, Illinois, called uh, uh, Cornerstone, and I even had like a POD tattoo from like a live. CD that they did at Tom Fest back in 97. And um the the POD guys after I got to know them on the we toured with them on the Lincoln Park tour. I actually kind of knew Marcos before that because when we were doing the record out in California, I went down to San Diego to see some of his accident experiment shows. But anyways, uh meet the POD guys and start to really get to know them. And I dude, what do you know? On Trey's bass rack, I see one of my band stickers from 1996. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, dude, that's my that's that's my band. And, and he goes, you're this guy. You're this guy. <laughs> and I like, yeah. And dude, they all found it so hysterical because they they remembered this dude in St. Louis just constantly like, yo, yo, ch check out my stuff. Check out my stuff. Like, you know, I was that kid. I was just like relentlessly promoting and doing everything uh, to make to make this weird career work and to get the heck out of St. Louis and, and do it bigger. So. It's so funny that 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 all connected, and my sticker was still on Trey's uh, uh, bass rack. But uh, I'm sorry, my stories can get long winded. So um, I love them. Yeah. So uh, so Johnny and I were were in a band. We were in this band, then we changed the name. We had like a rapper, so we were like super rap core, bro. And uh, and we we did that for a while. We picked up Mark uh, when he was only like 15 or 16 years old, playing bass, and then we. Then we became a three-piece band called Maybe Today that was like really weird fusion. It was like Zayo, which is this super hardcore, heavy Christian metal band. 
meets like Goo Goo Dolls. And it was very weird and very different. Um, but it was pretty artistic and, and, and pretty cool. It's just like we hadn't found our place yet. Yeah. Uh, but we started getting really, really buzzy. And then uh, we played a show with a band called Big Blue Monkey. And then um, they had a guitar player that I went to high school with. And they moved out to California and they... They fired him, and uh, and they got a record deal with with uh, with Maverick, and called me in to help with showcases. And they're like, "Dude, there's this kid in in St. Louis. He's wild. He backflips. He's got this crazy fro. Uh, we should we should call him, and have him play for these showcases." And I went out. I'd never been to California, so I was like, "Yo, these guys are gonna pay for my flight, <laughs> a free vacation to California, and all I got to do is learn like five songs in a day. I could do that with my hands tied behind my back." So. I learned these songs real quick. I flew out. I was like, cool vacation, man. And I, I helped these kids showcase uh, in this cruddy little garage uh, down in Orange County for, uh, uh, I think it was EMI at first. And uh, I was like, cool, see, sweet. See you later. Thanks for letting me see the beach. And uh, and then they called me the next week and like, yo, we got another one. We're, we're doing it for Warner Chapel, these these big publishing companies. Yeah. And I came out and I'm like, I'm ripping the guitar, brother. I look like I'm in the band. Look like I've been in the band forever. I'm singing harmonies. They'd never heard harmonies before and all this stuff. And and uh, they're like, yeah, we need you in our band. We haven't finished the record and and we've we you know we got to figure this out. And I was like, yo, how am I supposed to quit my band that my drummer doesn't want to be in right now anyway? <laughs> <laughs> so like I I came home and I prayed, man. I prayed. I I talked to my lady at the time. I talked to the guy who I knew. Um, that they had fired, and he warned me about all sorts of stuff. I probably should have taken heed, but I I didn't know, and uh, and that was it, dude. I I I joined the band, and and we worked hard, dude. We lived off, I lived off the dollar menu for a year and a half. By this by by this point, I'm 21. Um, I think I'm 21, maybe 22 at this time. I, I'm not I'm not really sure. It's 2002, 2003. So I was 21, and. Uh, we finished the record and dude, the day that we finished the record, I finished the last vocal on, on page Avenue, our, our major label debut. And, um, I finished the last vocal. We walked out, got into the van with the trailer was already packed, moved back from orange County to St. Louis. So drove straight back to St. Louis, dropped our stuff off, saw our families for like, I don't know, two hours, got back in the van and drove all the way to Rhode Island. So we went from wow. LA, we went from, SoCal to Providence, Rhode Island. And we were like two hours or three hours late to the show. The doors had already opened and we were supposed to go on. We joined a tour. It was us, My Chemical Romance, Thrice, and The Used. And this is before any of us were big. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we hit the stage. like We literally like pulled up after driving across the country, man. <laughs> corner to corner. We pulled up and like the place is already packed. And we're like excuse me excuse me excuse me like you know like carrying the kick drum trying to get it on stage so we could at least get 15 minutes of songs worth in before thrice has to go on or before my chemical romance has to go on um oh no i think they had actually already played i think they played first and okay. then it was us and then thrice so my kim was like on stage just getting off stage when we finally pulled up to the show anyways that um uh, that was in april or maybe march of 2003 we toured for uh, seven or eight months. Uh, the record came out in September. Um, and we were like selling Maverick had given us like demos, like a three song, uh, what it sampler, like a sampler from our CD to give out at shows. <laughs> yeah. Right, dude. We were starving. So we, we'd go out there and we'd sell them for like a buck a piece or three bucks or like, like, Oh, you want to buy one? They're like, how much? We're like five bucks. And they're like, no, nah, dude. And I was like, okay, cool. Three bucks. And they're like, no, nah, <laughs> dude. Awesome. It's like, all right, like a dollar. 
here, dude, it's going to be huge. And, and that's how we would eat. We ate like that for, and slept in the van for, uh, months and then the record came out and we did it for another while probably another year before anything started to really cook at radio um and our singles blew up man and then um the lincoln park guys were out at a show in la that we were doing and uh they're like yo we think we want you to go on our tour and they had just finished up the meteora record and they were about to release release meteora because hybrid theory was like the biggest record on the planet and we did the Meteora tour, and that really like helped propel us. I mean, we did a hundred tours before that. I did not get yeah. off the road, so we were in we were in California from January until March. Moved back to St. Louis, had a couple hours, went on tour up in Providence, and then we toured until we headlined the Nintendo Fusion tour at the end of two thousand four. We got home probably in time for Christmas two thousand four. So it was like two years, a two year record cycle. Just living on the road. On the road, dude, and and we went. We did have a, a couple international things um, during that period, so it was planes, vans, uh, you know, c- kind of cruddy buses, and uh, and that was the vibe. But dude, um, time of my life uh, in a in a in a in a certain way. But it was yeah. But it's bittersweet because it's not all like rock star stuff, you know. Like I'm I'm on the road twenty four hours a day. I'm only working like an hour and a half a night. And meanwhile, like my family and my friends and everybody's living their life back in St. Louis. So for, for two years, it was like the most bittersweet thing ever. And for a young man, it was tough, bro. It was tough. And I was surrounded by non-parents. So they're all partying. And I'm like the, the, the poo-poo dude that's in the back of the, uh, back of the bus when we finally got a bus playing Halo and just trying to like get the time to pass by. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be challenging being completely isolated in a different way, but there with the band it's your it's your career it's your job but you're isolated in a way because you live a a completely different lifestyle so so that's a challenge you know in 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 entrepreneurship business being in a band there's there's going to be these challenges like that what what do you think what's been your hardest challenge in life oh man oh i i don't know man i I guess it depends on the period yeah um, my hardest challenge in life. Whew, I'm sure a lot of people have some like canned answers or like some pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty good answers to that. But that's such a deep question. I don't want to answer it lightly. Yeah. And, and you don't have to, you don't have to go into, into detail on any, on any of those, but if there's any challenges that, that you've had to overcome, like, oh my I'd, gosh. I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear one it doesn't have to be your deepest or your hardest challenge. You know what? I'll just I'll just go with the most recent and and I haven't talked about this at all, but um when uh when I got let go from the band via management in 2018, it was during the most probably the second most difficult point in my life. Um something that was going on that was beyond my control and it was impossible to uh Impossible to explain to anybody because they didn't know any of the details and anybody that didn't want to ask any of the details was getting their information a bunch of other places. And and the most difficult thing was, you know, I had been offered so many gigs for for a decade and a half prior to that to join other bands and to do other things and to go on to other stuff and all this. And I always thought loyalty was like so important and it was such a big deal. And I, and I, 
the concept of loyalty was so black and white in my in my opinion and and sometimes I have a difficulty um you know not measuring things really intensely in in, in black and white and I have an extremely high standard for myself and uh that unfortunately comes with a high standard for others. So when people don't live up to my standards, it's like, it's a real, it's, it's difficult for me to overcome sometimes. Um, and in that period, I felt, uh, well, I mean, drastically misunderstood at first, firstly, but I, I felt so the wind was taken out of me so badly, um, that I could not find myself wanting to be artistic anymore and it really it still has like i still i still haven't released much other than uh we've we've, we've released a couple goldfinger records um and uh and a, and a couple greek fire releases um most most of most of which were done before any of this took place it just took such a it just took so much wind out of my sails, man, as far as like just wanting to be creative and, and wanting to connect. I just felt so, I just felt so, um, I got to choose my words carefully, man. Yeah. I, you know, like I, I, it was, it, it just hurt so bad. Yeah. It hurt, it hurt so bad because it was all for the wrong reasons. And, yeah. uh, and there was no communication. There was no conversation. And I've always had a real difficulty with this. I'll I'll say this is the thing that's probably hurt me the most that I've done is um, I always thought that truth is the only thing that matters. And in a way it is, but I always misunderstood and I miscalibrated the world. I've always miscalibrated the justice in the world. I thought truth equals justice. And if you're on the side of truth, then you'll be on the side of justice. And that's just not how the world works. And what I mean by that to, to, to further illustrate it is um, I always thought that like the, the truth will all, always come out and you don't have to explain yourself. And if somebody has the wrong um, impression about how something went down, time and truth will ultimately uh, vindicate you and be fine. But man, this is, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And and I've always been so against calling people up and telling them my story or like saying, hey, the details here are, are this, just so you know. Like I would just avoid it because I was just like, oh, like everything is fine between me and my God. So eventually yeah. it will be fine between me and you. And I never understood. Again, like, dude, all – it all ties back to the beginning. I have a real difficulty understanding like social cues and like communicative standards and where I saw communication of like telling my story as something that was unnecessary. If I felt like I was in the right in any scenario, um, that's really come back to bite me, dude. It's, it's really come back to bite me because who knows what's being said about me. And, and here's the other thing. It's like twofold for me because I really don't care what you think about me. I I, yeah. I don't. I never have. Uh, I was made fun of so much as a little kid and and whatever. Like I just like I got it in my head that other people's opinion of me is not my business, and I and I still wholeheartedly believe that. And I think that's giving me it's giving me great peace that some people seek their entire life, um, whereas I was able to kind of master that a little bit as as a young as a young person. Um, 
But again, like I don't, I don't care what people think of me and, and being a public figure, that's, that's kind of a healthy way to go about it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's served me really well, but at the same time, people that I really love, if they have the completely wrong, uh, you know, a complete misconception of who I am, um, that should bother me more, more. And I, and I should, and I should work at that. So my difficulty, man, is really figuring out like what what is it I'm supposed to work at as far as other people's perception of me? Because, you know, and I heard this recently and it rang so true and I wish somebody would have said it to me and wrote it down and tattooed it on my arm or something that it doesn't matter. It, it, it's not who you know. It's what people think of you or it's it's the it's the it's a uh, shoot. It's it's the it's not who you know. It's the people that you know and what they think of you. And that can be taken to a pretty unhealthy level if you're always concerned about, you know, other people's opinions towards you. But I understood it in a different fashion when I recently heard that, because, again, I made so many friends and so many like real relationships and brotherhoods with with uh, different band guys that I had known over the years and met over, on the road that I haven't talked to since that split, which has now been six years. And it's starting to dawn on me that like, man, like a lot of these people may think the wrong thing because maybe somebody told them something or they read something that's totally false. And like, what do I do? Like, again, it's not in my nature to call and be like, yo, I want to talk about something that's not your business just in case you got the wrong impression, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I think that's a powerful trait that you have that you don't do that. Like, I know you say it's kind of like uh, something from your childhood of not not having a good communication in that aspect. But I think it's powerful because I believe um, as long as you're out there doing good, expressing yourself authentically and what's truly on your heart and what God's given you, you know, the only, the only people that really matter about what they, they feel about you is your, your wife and your, and your kids and, and the way that you show up for them. Yeah. That's, that's how, that that's how I've always lived, dude. And, and honestly, like anytime something would, would go wrong and somebody would be, whatever. And, and I'm not, I'm not a drama guy. So it's not like I'm talking about things that are happening all the time, but everybody goes through something and some sort of fallout yeah. with somebody. And, and most of the time it's just misunderstanding or miscommunication. And my issue was always, dude, it, it was always like a, Hey man, if you really love me, you probably know that whatever you heard isn't true and you would dismiss it. Cause like the people that I truly love, you hear bad things about these these people all the time or this or that, but like, I know that man's heart. And even if he wronged you in this scenario, like I, I know that guy is a good, I know that guy is a good man. Maybe he's lost. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. I just have this. So I, I try to have this level like love and I try to live out forgiveness and I try to live out that to, to such extent that like, if I feel like I know someone's heart, um, I just don't hear. I just don't hear the bad things. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I, I pay no mind to to rumors or conjecture. Yeah. And if I do have an issue with something that somebody did, I just ask him about it. You just yeah. like, yo, before we continue this relationship, like, can you straighten this out for me? That's all. Like, I, I'm. I'm just so, like. I, I'm so direct. I'm. I just like. I don't like playing around. I don't like drama. I don't like any of that. Just tell me what is going on. That's how I need to, I, I, cause I can't decipher this social stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, just tell me, I don't want any codes. I just want sentences. No games, and, no codes, just straight to the point. Yeah. And so that is not good for some people. 
uh, in, in my life. And now most of the people that love me, like my bandmates and all that, like they know how I operate. So if I'm like, yo, you can't play that bass part wrong again. Like you have to fix that. I'm not upset with you. I don't love you any less. I'm just telling you, don't do that again, man. It's like straightforward. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Like I, I, that's how I want you to talk to me. Yeah. I think more people, I think more of us need to be like that. So I, I think that's a great example. I don't know, Scotty. It don't go well. It doesn't always go uh, well for me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I was, not, I'm not very diplomatic. I'm not very corporate. And and I work in a corporate environment now with radio. And dude, it's it's not easy for me. It's not easy because yeah. I'm not I'm not you know fluffy. Um, and I'm a nice. I'm a really sweet dude. But I'm sweet because I'm genuine. I'm not sweet because it's expected in an email because this is a corporate environment and I'm supposed to be all cutesy. Like I'm I'm. I'm just very direct when it, when I think it should be direct. So that's yeah. been difficult for me again, communication. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, as you were, you were chatting about some of those maybe judgmental people judging others and, and being genuine to who you are. Uh, it was making me think about, have you seen this, the series, the chosen? Uh, if, if you haven't, I want you to watch it with your kids. Is that and on prime? Anybody watching this? Uh, it's on Amazon prime. Yeah. It's about, okay. Yeah. It's, it's from the Bible about, that. Yeah, Jesus I started Christ's that. ministry. I, I love it. It's it's because I was just thinking about it because you know all these different disciples that he chose, like the tax collector, you know the guy that was about to betray his friend Simon Peter, you know turned them in so he could get his tax debt. Like there's all these things that these people did, but he didn't look at them any less direct. He's like, yeah, this is a good man. This is why I chose him. We all make mistakes. Whether it was the woman at the well. And so I, I just love, you just made me think of that as you were saying that, just like be direct, love people. And, you know, everybody will make a mistake from time to time, but it's not, not anything to be rumoring about or anything like that. So yeah, thank you for sharing some of those. I know sharing challenges can be difficult. Um, what, what do you think's like the, the biggest lesson you've learned through a challenge? Uh, the biggest lesson I've learned through yeah, a challenge. Um, honestly, man, I, I think, I think the, 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 the last real, real giant challenge that I went through helped me when I finally got right as to, you know, how to have my heart and, and move forward was you realize like, oh, this is yet another real opportunity to face myself and learn who I am, learn who I want to be and refine uh, both of those things. And um, I think every single challenge that, that, that I've, that I've, that I've come into, whether it's professional or personal or relationship or this or that uh, is, is such a good learning opportunity for knowing thyself. The old Greek aphorism, know thyself um, is so is so big. It's so big. And it really does tie into the Christian faith as, as, as well. So yeah, man, I, I think that is the goal typically is when you go, Oh, okay. I recognize I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a spot right now and it's going to take this, it's going to take this type of resilience and this type of action to, to, to get out of this and improve it. I always find myself like in the boat going, Oh man. Okay. Self self audit here. Like, who am I? Where do I actually want to be? How do I use this challenge to sort of straighten out where I may have like, you know, miscalibrated my, my trajectory or my, my, my direction. Uh, and, it, and again, like, I think that's, that's the real, I hate to be cheesy and simplify it, but that's, um, 
that's the real blessing in the in the curse or you know that's the yeah. real blessing in the challenge is like you know you kind of get that kick in the face and you go oh my gosh i'm in a fight like you know like woo are my hands up am i am i guarding it well am i am i trained well you, you know what i'm saying like yeah. if you if you're just walking along and everything's all do to do like you you're not really you know you're not really paying attention you're not minding your surroundings the same you're not alert and when you get kicked in the teeth uh, in the proverbial teeth you're you're sort of you're more alert and and you can take that opportunity to be more alert about who you are and who you should be yeah i think that's powerful having that self awareness and i think that needs to be taught more often yeah self awareness is is something that i always really um prided myself on and then i definitely got away from it and you know i think uh, what i've noticed uh, just in this past like year is um, all the distractions really make it difficult to stay self-aware. And I've really lost that. My wife has helped me get get back to that. And on tour, I was so much more self-aware because I had the time to just walk. I didn't have a cell phone that worked overseas. Like nowadays, these kids, these these touring dudes, they got like, you know, we got we got FaceTime. I can like talk to my kids. I'm in Germany. I'm in wherever I can talk. I can literally see my kids. Back yeah. then, I would have to stay up in the middle of the night, go down to a... a, a uh, payphone thing in the in the in the lobby of a Tokyo hotel. Get this green card with a million numbers and a calling card, and then I'd maybe get them for thirty seconds on their way to work or on the you know, on their way to school when I'm trying to go to bed in Japan. So it was like much more difficult. So there was a lot more time to just wander about cities and walk and talk and pray. And I would just talk to myself, walk and pray, and that really helped me stay solid. It helped me stay solid in my needs spiritually. It helped me stay solid about like who I was. I was able to really talk out things with myself and with God. And dude, I'm so distracted. I'm working so hard. I'm doing so much. And then when I sit for 15 seconds by myself, what do I do? I open up Instagram. So like, yeah. how am I ever supposed to learn anything about myself if I'm constantly just staring at algorithmic, uh, you know, uh, advertisements basically? Yeah, whatever's being fed to you, depending on that the algorithm. Some, the, whatever agenda that is, right? Yeah. I think that's, that's a, I, I'm grateful that you shared that because I think anyone listening to this, including myself, just needs that reminder to, you know, go go walk around the block, but don't take your phone. Like I, I go walk because I'm like, I need to get outdoors, get some fresh air. But what am I doing? I'm watching some TikToks or or I'm responding to people and messaging people and, and not taking my time to yeah. just think, right? Or, or listening to podcasts and all yeah. that. Like, I mean, like, you know, that's... I. I've taken maybe four drives on the way to work or something where it's just silence. And dude, it doesn't much bigger. I get so much more done than 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 trying to squeeze in another 15 minutes at 1.75 speed of my favorite podcast so I can learn some more financial tips about where the housing market is going. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like although I I I guilt myself into thinking like if I don't absorb enough of that, I'm not going to be prepared uh for what I need to be prepared for to take care of my family. But dude, like I need to be a better man before I need to be a better businessman. I love that. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. So I just got a couple more questions for you. I know I don't want to take, I'm a nap man. So I don't want to take away from that nap later on that you have <laughs> scheduled for your day today. Um, Moon, what are you most proud of in your life? What What's something you're proud of? Uh, I'm proud that even though I've made um, plenty of, of mistakes and, and dramatic mistakes. I'm proud that my children love me and appreciate how I love them. I'm so proud that like even, you know, one of my daughters and I weren't like super close 
uh, even though we're probably the most similar, like uh, it's probably one of the reasons we we weren't super close there for a little bit. And she, she and I have really like hit it off in these in these last couple of years. And uh, my oldest daughter, who just had a kiddo, so I'm a grandpa dude. I'm a 42 year old grandpa. Um, like we're we're super close, and I'm gonna call her here in 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 a few minutes. And like just just the fact that like they know the mistakes that I made, they know the regrets I have. Uh, you know, in regards to uh parenting them and and just everything else like they 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 love me because they they know that like my heart has always been in the right place and I love them more than anything on this in this world and I'm and I'm so I'm so proud that whatever I did I did enough right for them to know that and me to know that they know that you, you know what I'm saying and and yeah. that um it it sounds cheesy and it sounds like you know some some dorky pandering answer but dude um after all was said and done, I, I never, I never, I never set out to have gold records. I never set out to be, quote unquote, successful. I never set out to be, uh, recognized or any of that. Like I just wanted to, I just wanted to fit in in a way where I was able to communicate and move people like I was moved, and I've been given that blessing of an opportunity, all while being able to be a loving father and like. I have no complaints. I like, I can't, I can't, um, I can't, Oh, I can't in good conscience complain about anything in my life because those, those two things have been given to me and I don't deserve them. Yeah. Well, I think you do deserve them. You deserve everything that you have moon. And I, I say that genuinely as your friend and, and I'm super grateful that that's where you, where you went and where, where you expressed yourself of what you're grateful for. You know, I started this podcast. I wanted to, interview, have conversations with people that are high-level athletes or professionals or entrepreneurs for that person out there that might be even a teenager right now or, or trying to figure out their life and what they want to do, figure out that everybody has mistakes, everybody goes through challenges, everybody you know, is different in some way or another. And, and I have that goal so that, so that these people that are listening can, can learn, get wisdom from people that are grandpas like you, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's the whole purpose, but or that's the whole reason I started this, but my, my purpose and my mission as I'm going out is not to help someone build the biggest business or become the most, you know, high level athlete. My, my purpose is to help people realize that their family is their most important role on earth and help them become the most, you know, the best human possible. That's, you know, that's what it says on my Instagram bio. That's what I'm out there trying to, to teach people. So you being on this podcast, like you're the perfect fit, man. And I, I've just appreciated so much the conversation today and the, the wisdom that you've shared uh, with us. Um, I'm going to ask you one last question. Where where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? What do you want your life to look like? Oh, man, I don't know. That's something that my wife and I have been talking about this, uh, this these last couple of days and weeks and months really is... Um... I want to still be able to be doing something that is personally gratifying, but it can help set up uh, my children. I, I I really do, I really do feel like, and and I know it's really easy to crash on young people these days. And like on, on my radio show, you know, half of the articles that we're talking about are are kind of uh, going after young people in for whatever they're doing differently than than we are. But I really do feel like they have it a little bit harder than we do. And I know in, in a lot of ways, of course, they have it easier and. They're so much more connected and it's easier to chase your dreams and do whatever in your basement and, and whatever. But like, dude, 
I was 17 years old and I was in an apartment and then I bought this tiny little crappy house in the ghetto, but I still was a homeowner by the time I was like 20 or 21. And I don't see that being possible at all for my children right now. It's like, so it's so much more difficult for them to be able to set a baseline. Like, like we had it. And that wasn't even that long ago. Um, so I, I, I really see myself in five years pursuing, uh, whatever it is that still allows me to fulfill, whether it's a creative need or a, or a calling where I feel like um, I've obviously been blessed with like, uh, you know, some, some decent communicative skills now. And that a lot of that's from, from studying and adjusting, but my parents were teachers and they're educators. And that's sort of built into my, my nurturing. And I do feel a, a calling to do something, whether it's podcasts or writing songs or whatever, to help either shift people's perspective or educate them on, you know, positivity, uh, or the love of God or, or, or whatever it may be that I'm called to in that moment. So I'm hope I'm being, uh, I hope I'm being fulfilled in those ways, but ultimately, man, the, the 50% of it is I hope I'm doing something that in the pursuit of making my children's lives better and easier, um, so they can you know, be homeowners or travel or, or do something, uh, chase a, a a career that may be more difficult to get to get launched. I, I just want to, again, man, I don't have an identity beyond being a father. So even though they may not be in my home or my direct care, like I want to be participating in their launches in yeah. five to ten years, and and I want to be actively doing something, whether it's you know behind the scenes or whatever. Uh, that's how I see. Mallory and I's lives playing out in the next five to 10 years, being a real, uh, you know, integral part, if not just a, you know, a pillar of the launches of our children. I love that. Putting your family first, just as we started this podcast, having your child and your children in in the front of your mind. So thank you so much for sharing that. Hey, so uh, we're ending this out now where I know you got some projects you're working on. Um, you have a YouTube show that you're doing. Uh, do you just want to share with those, with us, what those are to end this out? And then obviously I'll put them in the description, the links. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Check out my band Greek fire. Uh, that's my, that's my heart and soul. As far as lyrics, uh, lyrics go, that's where I, uh, I really get out, uh, uh, everything. If you want to check out the early story of the year stuff, please do. But I'm also in Goldfinger, uh, 90 ska punk band. Uh, we still tour. We still play a whole bunch. Um, we have, uh, I think an LA show coming up, an Atlantic City show, New York City will be over in England, uh, London Leeds uh, will be in Austria and Germany later this year. I mean, there's scattered shows all over the place, so just check out um, Goldfinger Music on, uh, you know, whatever social media it's all out there. You can follow me at Moon Valjean here. That's M O O N V A L J E A N H E R E. That's Instagram. That's uh, Facebook all that kind of stuff. And then the new, the new YouTube channel, as you can see all these guitars and different things. Um, I have like a pretty cool collection of like 30 guitars and amps and all this. And a lot of this stuff is what has taken me around the planet. And a lot of it has some pretty cool, pretty cool and unique stories as well as a lot of my touring friends. They all have wacky stories about how they got their guitars or why they played this particular amp or whatever. Um, so I started a YouTube channel just about the stories of the gear uh, that have taken us around the planet. It's called Story of the Gear. Uh, subscribe and check out some of those videos. They're just you know fun storytelling videos about some of these cool instruments that have taken people around the earth. That's awesome. Well, I'll link all those in the description as well. And yeah, definitely check out that YouTube channel. I've been watching some of those and, and it's been fascinating to me to hear the story behind 
the guitar and the equipment. So thank you so much, Moon. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to add value to our lives. And uh, we'll talk soon, man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us on this incredible episode with Moon Valjean, and we hope that you enjoy the content that we shared with you today and invite you to send this to some friends. We'll see you next time, and don't forget that your leveled up life is just a few decisions away.